to the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, July 6th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Russia and Ukraine accuse each other of an imminent attack on a key nuclear plant. July 4th is logged as the hottest day on Earth in 125,000 years. Russia and the U.S. consider a prisoner swap. Special forces are the focus of a U.K. war crimes inquiry on Afghanistan. A man arrested last week near Obama's house threatened a government facility. Macron suggests blocking social media amid French protests. A U.S. judge restricts Biden officials from contacting social media firms. Talks between UPS and its union break off. Cocaine briefly shuts down the White House. And chronic traumatic encephalopathy is discovered in a female athlete for the first time. In our top story, Russia and Ukraine accuse each other of an imminent attack on a nuclear plant. Here are the facts as agreed upon by U.S. News & World Report, Barron's, and TASS. Russia and Ukraine both accused each other of plotting to attack the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, or ZNPP, on Tuesday, the strategic site seized by Russia during the first weeks of the invasion that has since remained in Russian control. The nuclear plant, Europe's largest with six reactors, all now turned off, has remained at the center of allegations leveled by both countries over the course of the conflict. Both have blamed each other for rocket attacks that have struck the plant's grounds. Both have also previously accused each other of planning something more sinister. On Tuesday, Ukrainian President Zelensky said that in a call with French counterpart Emmanuel Macron amid severe riots in France, he warned that Russia was planning dangerous provocations at the ZNPP. Quote, we agreed to keep the situation under maximum control together with the IAEA, Zelensky said. Earlier in the day, Ukraine's military claimed to have intelligence that showed external objects similar to explosive devices were placed on the outer roof of the third and fourth reactors by Russian forces at the nuclear plant. Their detonation should not damage power units, but may create a picture of shelling from the Ukrainian side. Meanwhile in Russia, Renat Karcha, an advisor to the head of the state-controlled nuclear firm Rosenergoatom, claimed to the Russian media, quote, In the nighttime on July 5th, Ukrainian troops will try to attack the ZNPP with the use of high-precision, long-range weapons and kamikaze drones. They plan to airdrop bombs stuffed with radioactive waste that were removed from the South Ukraine nuclear power plant to a military airfield in Ukraine. Neither Russia nor Ukraine commented on each other's claims. Meanwhile, neither country provided evidence to back up its assertions. As such, neither claim could be independently confirmed. Scary stuff, Eric. We have a pro-Ukraine narrative on this story from Pravda. According to Ukrainian intelligence, Russia has placed explosive devices on the roofs of the nuclear reactors. These devices will explode in such a way as to create the image of Ukrainian shelling. Russia will then mobilize its propaganda arm to try to blame the attack on Ukraine. The pro-Russian narrative comes from TASS. Ukraine will attempt to attack the ZNPP with long-range weapons and kamikaze drones. Worse still, it's planning to fill the weapons with radioactive waste from other nuclear plants. Actions must be taken to avoid this catastrophe. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 17% chance that there will be a serious radiation incident at any nuclear plant in Ukraine by 2024. 
Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org slash pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now back to the news. July 4th is recorded as Earth's hottest day on record. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, The Washington Post, The Associated Press, The Hill, BBC News, and Scientific American. According to U.S. National Centers for Environmental Prediction data, July 4th was the hottest day ever recorded worldwide in as many as 125,000 years, with the average global temperature logging 17.18 degrees centigrade or 62.92 degrees Fahrenheit. The same record was broken the previous day on July 3rd when the average global temperature reached 17.01 degrees centigrade or 62.62 degrees Fahrenheit, higher than the previous record of 16.92 degrees centigrade or 62.46 degrees Fahrenheit set on August 14th, 2016. The record-breaking temperatures are yet to be confirmed officially as the observations were based on the University of Maine's Climate Reanalyzer a tool often used by climate scientists to forecast weather and climate patterns. Meanwhile, scientists attribute this sharp rise in average global temperature for the second day to climate change and an emerging El Nino, a weather pattern that usually brings increased temperatures worldwide every two to seven years. Last month was the hottest June in the global record, with the average global temperature reaching 1.46 degrees centigrade above the typical temperatures recorded in the pre-industrial era between 1850 and 1900. According to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, global greenhouse gas emissions must be cut to 60% below 2019 levels by 2035 to protect the planet and its ecosystems. Scott, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from The Guardian. Tuesday's record is a warning that the world must brace for more scorching temperatures over the next few months, as there is a good chance the average global temperature will exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius beyond pre-industrial times. As the escalating impacts of global warming are now evident, the world must get its act together and accelerate plans to radically cut greenhouse gas emissions and avoid the worst effects of human-induced climate change. The New York Post brings us Narrative B. Instead of fear-mongering over the dangers of climate change and blaming greenhouse gas emissions for rising global temperatures, this finding must be put in perspective. It's unfair to claim that climate change is reaching uncharted territory, and Tuesday's record is code red for humanity when the extreme rise in temperature is rooted in El Nino, a natural weather warming event that generally makes the planet hotter. There's a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. It says there's a 19% chance that a global catastrophe will reduce the human population by 95% or more by 2100. According to a recent report, Russia and the U.S. are open to a prisoner swap involving reporter Gershkovich. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NPR Online News, USA Today, Business Insider, CBS, and The Guardian. On Tuesday, Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said in a conference call with reporters that Russia and the U.S. have considered a prisoner swap that could potentially involve Russian-held Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich and U.S.-held Vladimir Duneyev. These comments came one day after Lynn Tracy, U.S. ambassador to Russia, was allowed to visit Gershkovich while staffers from the Russian embassy in Washington, D.C. were allowed to meet with Duneyev. Gershkovich has been held by Russia since March on espionage charges, which the journal and the U.S. government deny. Meanwhile, Duneyev is being held in pretrial detention in Ohio after he was extradited from South Korea on U.S. cybercrime charges. Although Peskov confirmed the two countries have had contact over the issue, 
He said, quote, we do not want to make them public. They must be followed and maintained in complete silence. The U.S. and Russia previously completed a similar trade in December 2022 as Russia freed U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner in exchange for arms dealer Victor Bout. Thanks for those facts, Eric. We have an establishment-critical narrative from Daily Mail. While the U.S. should try to secure the release of these prisoners, it must first work to stop Russia from consistently arresting Americans on trumped-up charges to force geopolitical confrontations. These prisoner swaps are never fair deals as they lead to Russian criminals being put back on the streets. Accepting them just plays into the Kremlin's hands. A pro-establishment narrative comes from Voice of America. Despite Russia's illegal war on Ukraine, the U.S. has remained engaged with Russia to secure the release of Gershkovich and other prisoners. Although it's unfortunate the U.S. might have to trade actual criminals for people being held on false charges, as in the Griner case, the U.S. will do whatever it takes to bring Gershkovich home. British special forces are probed for Afghan war crimes. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, The Times, Guardian, Al Jazeera, The Telegraph, and Sky News. Suspending its policy of neither confirming nor denying special force operations, the UK Ministry of Defense has confirmed that the military's special forces are at the heart of a war crimes inquiry. Defense Secretary Ben Wallace, however, wants the identities of those involved in the probe into the alleged summary executions of over 80 Afghan detainees between mid-2010 to mid-2013 to be kept secret. In response to these latest developments, a lawyer representing the victims' families argued that Wallace's partial admission risks discrediting this public inquiry and challenged his request to withhold the identities of all members of British Special Forces during the probe. This comes as a two-day hearing at the Royals Court of Justice began on Wednesday to hear arguments from the Ministry of Defense and the Royal Military Police for restriction orders to be placed over some evidence submitted to the inquiry. This independent statutory inquiry into alleged unlawful activity by British military personnel in Afghanistan, which was commissioned last December, will also look at the effectiveness of follow-up investigations into any allegations. Two Royal Military Police investigations, codenamed Operation Northmoor and Operation Sestro, are expected to be scrutinized, as only three soldiers were referred to the service prosecuting authority. None of them ended up facing prosecution. Those were the facts. The first spin is an establishment-critical narrative coming from Arab News. The British Special Forces have become a rogue criminal organization that killed dozens of innocent Afghans for years with impunity. The first inquiry into its illegal actions was completely inadequate and was deliberately planned to never get to the bottom of the heinous acts. While this agency may think it's above the law, the justice system must hold it accountable for war crimes. And Military Strategy Magazine brings us the pro-establishment narrative. British Special Forces are among the world's best military units with state-of-the-art technology and specialized training that allows them to covertly neutralize terrorists around the globe and coordinate with allies. While some may criticize them, the Special Forces remain an invaluable asset to the UK military and play a pivotal role in British national security. Has your cousin Ben Wallace, the defense secretary over there, has he contacted you for any direction, any advice? We don't what, talk what, much, what? mainly around the holidays, so it's actually been a while, but, you know, maybe, maybe I'll okay. reach out. Yeah, well, yeah, you might in this situation, definitely. You know, the whole family gets on a Zoom, you know, on Christmas Eve, but that's, right. that's about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know? Plus COVID, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
In our next story, according to the feds, the January 6th defendant arrested near the Obama home made week-long series of threats. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Washington Post, Politico, Forbes, CNN, CBS, and New York Post. U.S. prosecutors claimed on Wednesday that a man arrested last week driving a van full of weapons near former President Barack Obama's house in Washington, D.C., had threatened Representative Jamie Raskin, Democrat of Maryland, Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, and the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, which houses a nuclear research reactor. According to the Justice Department, Taylor Taranto broadcast threats to Raskin while showing up in his neighborhood in mid-June, called McCarthy's office on June 27th, and a day later revealed plans to detonate explosives at the NIST building. This reportedly tipped off the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which was monitoring Toronto's online presence as he is accused of participating in the January 6th riot, leading to his apprehension by the Secret Service on June 29th. These details emerged ahead of a detention hearing on Wednesday afternoon as prosecutors urge a federal magistrate judge to keep the defendant behind bars pending trial for charges related to the 2021 Capitol riot. The 37-year-old from Washington State, who reportedly had been living in his van for months, was wanted on an arrest warrant for his alleged actions on January 6, 2021, and faces four misdemeanor charges related to the incident. It remains unclear, however, what the alleged U.S. Navy veteran and volunteer webmaster for the Republican Party in Franklin County, Washington, is specifically accused of doing in the riot. Thanks for those sordid details, Eric. The anti-Trump narrative is brought to us by The D.L. Hughley Show. Donald Trump has not only unleashed a domestic terrorism movement, but he has been actively stimulating his followers to engage in dangerous behavior, such as doxing a former U.S. president. It's no coincidence that Capitol riot fugitive Taranto was arrested near Obama's home just days after Trump posted on his Truth Social the alleged address of the Obama's residence. The pro-Trump narrative is coming from the Gateway Pundit. While Toronto has indeed attended some nightly vigils for the January 6th political prisoners, he was kicked out for acting strange and claimed that Ashley Babbitt was not shot dead by police. One can just wonder why the feds took so long to arrest him, allowing him to walk free in Washington, D.C., even though he was inside the Capitol and near Babbitt when she was killed. In another nerd narrative from Metaculus, they predict there's a 2% chance that the U.S. will enter a second civil war before the year 2031. News from the civil unrest in France as Macron floats social media restrictions. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Euronews, The Guardian, Politico, and Bloomberg. During a meeting with mayors representing areas affected by ongoing riots, French President Emmanuel Macron said that the government should consider regulating or shutting down access to social media sites as unrest over the shooting of a 17-year-old continues. Macron has publicly blamed social media websites for inflaming the unrest in France, as he told the mayors that social media has changed the way young people relate to reality. France Interior Minister and Digital Minister met with representatives from TikTok, Snap, Twitter, and Meta last Friday, where the platforms were asked to actively remove violent content and help authorities identify those using the platforms to call for unrest. Macron said that restricting social media is a real debate that should continue once things cool down in France. Comments that drew condemnation from across the political spectrum, including from Macron's own party. France has endorsed numerous UN resolutions condemning government internet blocking. A government spokesperson has stressed to the public that any actions would be functional suspensions on features such as geolocation to prevent large gatherings. 
France's digital transition minister announced on Tuesday that a working group has been formed to address the role of social media in the protests, which could be included in future legislation. Scott, thanks for the facts of that story. The establishment critical narrative is the first spin for this story, and it's coming from Al Arabia. Macron has reduced himself to despotic tactics by attacking free expression on the internet. The tactic of social media censorship to quell unrest is a tactic of dictators, not leaders in free countries. What is driving the protests against the killing of Nahal Merzouk is anger against racism and discrimination in French society, not cell phones, which Macron is steadfastly refusing to recognize. And the pro-establishment narrative from Politico. Any potential restrictions on social media are for the sake of public safety, not censorship. Violent rioters are organizing through social media platforms. Videos of their crimes go viral and spur more violence as social media sites abdicate responsibility for the real-world repercussions of their platform. This inaction is leading to unnecessary violence and destruction in France. A judge limits Biden officials' contact with social media firms. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Axios, Politico, Associated Press, and El País. In a ruling made public Tuesday, a federal judge barred various agencies and officials of the Biden administration from meeting with or contacting social media companies about content moderation. The ruling is part of an ongoing suit brought by Republican Attorneys General of Louisiana and Missouri, who alleged that the administration engaged in a widespread censorship campaign related to COVID and other matters. The ruling, issued by Louisiana U.S. District Judge Terry Doughty, affects numerous federal officials and agencies, including Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra, and all employees of the Justice Department and FBI. The White House said the Department of Justice is, quote, reviewing the court's injunction and will evaluate its options. Dowdy said contact could be made if necessary for informing social media companies of postings involving criminal activity and conspiracies and notifying them of national security or other threats posted on their platforms. All right, we have some politically opposed narratives on this story. The Republican spin comes from Breitbart. This is a huge win for free speech and a blow to censorship. The Biden administration assumed the role of an Orwellian Ministry of Truth by orchestrating a far-reaching censorship campaign during the COVID pandemic. The government should never be able to censor ordinary Americans on social media. The Washington Post brings us the Democratic narrative. The judge is putting U.S. security at risk with this ruling. The government and social media companies have been coordinating to address criminal activity, including sexual abuse images, terrorism, COVID disinformation, and Russian election interference for years. And breaking up this communication will only harm the nation under the false pretense of protecting the First Amendment. This story is in some way related to the prior one. It's just that France has like a crisis that's going on as we speak. And this is more. We're trying to prevent uh, one. We're trying to prevent one. Yeah. Talks between UPS and their union break off. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, the Associated Press, Forbes, CBS and BBC News. On Wednesday, the United Postal Service or UPS and the Teamsters Union issued conflicting reports about why negotiations for a new contract with the shipping company's 340,000 workers were stopped with a deadline looming to prevent a strike that would disrupt the U.S. economy. Union officials accused UPS of walking away from the talks after presenting an unacceptable offer. UPS pushed back against the union's allegations and said it's the responsibility of the union to remain at the table 
especially since it made a historic offer to improve the workers' industry-leading pay. Unionized UPS workers have authorized a strike if a deal isn't reached before the expiration of the labor agreement at the end of July. Among the union's demands are higher pay, more full-time jobs, and the removal of surveillance cameras in trucks. UPS, which handles goods worth an estimated 6% of the U.S. economy, last dealt with a strike in 1997 when employees walked off the job for 15 days and cost the company hundreds of millions of dollars. Scott, thank you for the facts of that story. The first spin is Narrative A coming from Bloomberg. The union must know that UPS is in a tough spot financially as it comes out of the pandemic with stiffer competition. Teamsters' leadership might have promised their membership they would be tougher in negotiations, but it's in the best interest of both sides to come to a win-win agreement that will prevent a major disruption in the U.S. economy. And Narrative B comes from the Washington Post. This is on UPS, as the multi-billion dollar company is being stingy with its offers, which don't keep up with the cost of living, especially for part-time workers. Perhaps a strike is the only way to get the union's message across and convince UPS to adequately pay its employees. All I see now are Amazon trucks. I don't that even notice be, FedEx I, or UPS anymore. Honestly, you're, I haven't really thought about it, but you're right. I see more of either A, random cars dropping off uh, packages at my house, or the official like smile Amazon trucks. Yeah, that's yeah, a good point. Right. As long as my vintage Thighmaster gets here on time, you know, next day delivery. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Got to get in shape for summer. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's here. I got to hurry it up. It is here. It's here. A cocaine discovery briefly shuts down the White House. And here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, DW, New York Post, Breitbart, and the official DEA website. The White House was temporarily closed Sunday evening after the U.S. Secret Service agents reportedly discovered cocaine in the West Wing, prompting a brief evacuation. President Biden and his family were at Camp David in Maryland at the time. The West Wing, home to the Oval Office, the Cabinet Room, the Press Briefing Room, and the offices of presidential staff, is accessible to White House staff and tour groups. Initial reports claim the white powder was found in the White House's library on the ground floor. However, the Secret Service later said the substance was a yellow bar, indicating it to be cocaine hydrochloride, located in a holding area in the West Wing. A U.S. Secret Service spokesman said the cocaine is undergoing further analysis, and authorities are investigating how it wound up in the White House. Though suspicious substances have been sent to the White House before, evacuations are rare. Previous incidents prompting such a response included the 9-11 attacks. According to the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, cocaine, which falls under Schedule II of the Controlled Substances Act, has a high potential for abuse. Red State brings us the Republican narrative. It's still unclear how a banned substance found its way past security and into the White House. Yet Democrats have been throwing around implausible theories such as it being a dental anesthetic to draw attention away from the elephant in the room. Hunter Biden, who frequents the White House, has a very recent history of severe cocaine abuse, which means questioning him over this incident is not a far-fetched idea. Newsweek brings us the Democratic narrative. Drawing a connection to Hunter Biden is unethical and highly impractical. Hunter had been with his father at Camp David since Friday, and as the White House is thoroughly searched and cleaned daily, it's unlikely he had anything to do with the cocaine's discovery. The West Wing is open to the public, suggesting it could have been left out by any one of the countless people passing through each day. Our final story, CTE, is diagnosed in a female athlete for the first time. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Washington Post, CBS, CBC, Reuters, BBC News, and the Associated Press. 
On Monday, researchers at the Australian Sports Brain Bank announced the world's first diagnosis of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, in a female athlete. Former Australian Football League player Heather Anderson, who died by suicide at 28 years old last November, has been diagnosed with having had low-stage CTE, a degenerative brain disease linked to concussions, as well as three lesions in her brain. The researchers say Anderson had no history of alcohol or non-prescription drug abuse and had never shown any indication of depression. However, she did suffer one diagnosed concussion in the months leading up to her death. The findings, published in the Springer Medical Journal, reveal that Anderson, who also served as a medic in the Australian Defense Force, had multiple CTE lesions as well as abnormalities nearly everywhere in her cortex. Research on degenerative brain diseases linked to contact sports is usually done on male athletes. The diagnosis of Anderson's disease was made possible after her family donated her brain to the Australian Sports Brain Bank to better understand why she died. CTE, which is reportedly incurable and can only be diagnosed post-mortem, can cause memory loss, depression, and violent mood swings in athletes, combat veterans, and people who suffer repeated traumatic head injuries. Scott, thanks for the facts of that story. The first spin is Narrative A coming from Time. Anderson's diagnosis is just the tip of the iceberg and should be a wake-up call for every woman playing popular contact sports. Sporting bodies worldwide must also approve concussion protocols to protect their players and minimize or avoid traumatic brain injuries. While CTE may be incurable, lives can be saved by introducing strategies and policies to make contact sports safer in general. And SBS News brings us Narrative B. Now that the evidence strongly suggests female athletes are more likely to suffer from concussions than their male counterparts, paying attention to risks inherent in contact sports is imperative. Women's neck strength differs from men's, so enduring constant impacts leads to a higher chance of long-term cognitive impairment. Women should strongly consider restricting participation in high-risk sports altogether, given the medical evidence. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, July 6th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Stein. And you're inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.